0: Welcome to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. Yara is the global leader in crop nutrition knowledge and a producer of quality fertilizer products. Grow the future with Yara.
1: Hello and welcome from me, Ken Rundle. The headlines just now talk of a fertilizer market in turmoil with concerns over rapidly rising prices, questions over supply and even more questions about how to manage the use of whatever fertilizer we do have. So to address those issues, I'm joined by Yara's head of agronomy, Mark Tucker, and arable specialist Natalie Wood. Mark, perhaps we can start with you. My impression is this all stems from a worldwide disruption of the energy market, particularly gas supply. Is that oversimplistic?
0: No, I think that generally is the sort of the underlying sort of message there. But I think it is worth pointing to the fact that over the last sort of year, we've had a growing um, set of circumstances which have really started to drive a number of aspects. Firstly, there was crop demand as global commodity prices started to lift, then plantings were increasing, so there was there was an underlying large demand for fertilizer which started and then you've had various political um, interventions at times which has also accelerated and put in some uh, dynamics there which have then uh, started to lift the prices, particularly there, the P's and K's, as we've seen in the past. But then the recent nitrogen um, value spike has really been on the back of gas prices. Um, and over the, the last year, 18 months, we've seen um, gas values go from the sort of $2, $3, $4, $5 um, year per BTU as it's termed in the the gas market, and then it's gone through to 10 and 12, up to 25, up to 30, up to 42, and they were sort of increases that are just unprecedented. So it has really left um, us with that scenario now where this this sort of driving gas price, and in one week, just the other day, then we saw um, a €200 per tonne rise in cost of production just in a week in terms of how that gas was affecting it.
1: So that's pretty major. But in recent months, I've had conversations in these podcasts about green ammonia and the use of hydro and solar energy. So has Yara been affected in exactly the same way as other companies? You haven't heard of plant closures, for example.
0: No, I mean, there's it has impacts, of course. But I think what we have noted um, and what's been uh, useful from Yara's point of view is the flexibility that we have, because, yes, the general reliance there is on gas um, for the fertilizer production. But just to be clear, the gas is used to create ammonia and then the ammonia is what goes on to then um, be used for nitrate, urea production, et cetera. So the ammonia is the key. Um, and what Yara do have is facilities around the world where we've got ammonia production. So rather than using just European gas which was clearly in short supply, then a decision was made to bring in ammonia from other parts of the world. And what that did was enable the production to continue at those facilities that we've got. Now, it has; we have curtailed a bit of production um, as the ammonia price now sort of reaches levels. So, yeah, we've been able to buffer it to an extent, but there's still some impact um, even on that production.
1: And while there's talk as far as grain exports are concerned as problems over getting the the right size of shipping, a lot of what we're talking about here is dedicated shipping. So you're not caught in that particular squeeze, are you?
0: No, and that's right. It's not easy just to sort of switch in and out of vessels um, through the transport. So it's yeah, it is it's not such a straightforward supply chain as to be able to switch things on and off.
1: I think you've mentioned this before, but can we be clear? We're talking here about nitrogen. Or are we also involving phosphate and potash in this mix because everything seems to be rising?
0: Yeah, I think the the nitrogen steals the headlines, rightly so, because of it being so uh, fundamental towards uh, crop performance. So, yes, it it steals the headlines, but P&K are wrapped up in this in the sense of, again, more um, demand across the world for the phosphates, but also then some of the sanctions that were imposed on large Um, potash exporting countries. So that's led again to problems around supply demand. So they're they're involved, yes, um, but not perhaps grabbing the headlines quite like nitrogen has done.
1: But it all makes the equation that much more difficult to resolve. Um, Liquid fertiliser options, that's a delivery more than the basic source. So I suppose that's affected no differently to solid fertiliser.
0: No, I mean, again, it's affected in the sense that when we every, we drive back and think about that ammonia, that's what then is used to either produce urea ammonium nitrate or urea ammonium nitrate, which is the UAN liquid. So it still has an impact. Um, and then, of course, um, logistics of getting things to farm with HGVs comes into play with all of this in terms of there's one thing getting production um, back up and running. And then there's that next bit, which is actually getting the product to the farm at the right time for usage.
1: So from your point of view, what position are your customers in and how are you trying to resolve any problems they are facing?
0: I think it's something that's really important to note that farmers should look to get covered for. Certainly that sort of first percentage of nitrogen, the first dressings that will happen in February, March next year so and then into April so really taking a view on what the requirements are and then locking into a quantity so that you know you're covered for that all important first round of applications and even that second one um, and Natalie will um, yeah, go into a bit more detail there but yeah the, the real message is speak to your supplier um, and get some cover there in terms of making sure you're not going to let these crops um, get off to a very so slow start next spring.
1: Because I was reading some reports of from back in July, August time when some suppliers were saying, Well, just hang off. This not normally this we wouldn't be recommending this, but hang off till next year. But of course, what's happened since then has just turned that one crazy. So it, it's a case of get what you can now.
0: Yes. And what we saw was there there was the prices had started higher than in previous years. So there was a, a reluctance there to buy. And and that was, you know the farmer was taking a view on that. But I think what we then didn't foresee and anticipate is this, um, this continued acceleration. So yes, what we did see was a reluctance to buy. So we are in a position today where fewer farmers have got cover for that early um, those early applications. So it really is time to have a look and um, start to really get your uh, supply side sorted there.
1: So, Natalie, then, can I come to you? Farmers must be asking all kinds of questions just now. For example, given the fertiliser costs are rising higher than the projected price of wheat, how do they make the sums work? And I suppose the answers are different for those with stocks in store and those without.
2: I can. Yeah, Um, understandably, we're getting a lot of questions at the moment um, and the advice does differ depending on what fertiliser price they bought at for example so um, those that were able to buy earlier on in the season when prices were a lot less than they are now um, the advice would be to carry on as usual Um, these growers should be applying their usual nitrogen rates and aiming to get the best yields for their crops as they would be normally Um, for those that had to buy at the higher prices or are still yet to buy then we've seen over the past few weeks how they have changed so the, the advice therefore also changes Um, Due to the price of wheat and fertilizer, they're going to need to use the economic optimum rather than the biological optimum. Um, And if we look at the economic optimum with the current pricing, you know, it's going to reduce their nitrogen rate on wheat, for example, to say 160 kilograms of N per hectare. Uh, Of course, this will mean a reduction in the yield as well at this lower rate, but it's still economically viable and you'll still get a return on investment. We do lots of trials work, um, and you can see from that first 160 kilos then, you're still getting a good return, no matter what the price is. So that's that's certainly what we're aiming for, that that first 160 kilos is vital, really.
1: And while you're not a markets expert, the point is, it looks likely that there could be a cutback in wheat next year. So going for good production rather than trying to boost yields is still an option.
2: Yeah, yeah, certainly it's probably not a year to be pushing yields, <laughs> certainly, um, yeah, once you start to apply those higher rates of nitrogen, then the returns do start to drop and, and it will become uneconomic at some some point um, if you do start to push the rates and you have bought at those higher prices. So really what we need to you know focus on is utilising what, what you can apply. Um, so we need to make sure we go back to the fundamentals really of putting it on at the right time to ensure that we're getting that nitrogen use efficiency and making sure that's maximised. Um, we need to get as much out of it as we can to make up for that decreased rate. Um, I mean, it could be a good year to try variable rate nitrogen applications, for example, if you've got the ability, because that could save you, you know, overlapping nitrogen in certain areas or over applying, should I say. And um, therefore, there's other areas that would make better use of that nitrogen. So anything really that is going to help maximize that lower rate of nitrogen. And then, of course, once we get into the spring next year, um, hopefully we'll see an increase in grain prices and then we can reevaluate all these economics and decide, you know, whether we should start to apply some
1: more nitrogen at that point. I mentioned the issues with P&K as well. Does that create any complications in terms of uh, if, if you hold back on the on one, will it affect the uptake by the plant on on a, of another, etc.? Is all this something to be balanced and in, taken into account?
2: yeah potentially I mean the, what we don't really want people to do is taking pNK holidays um we've seen from from certainly the prices of as Mark mentioned prices of pK have gone up as well so it is tempting for people to not want to apply. Um, but we still need that minimum amount of P and K to be on there for it to um, be able to be utilised with that nitrogen because as you say there's a relationship between all those nutrients so you know, if you're decreasing one it's going to start to impact upon the yield and certainly we, we don't want any more decreases in yield if we're going for those lower rates of nitrogen.
1: And again, it's a common message in these podcasts, but if you know what your soils are doing, then through testing, you have a bit more understanding of what you're trying to achieve.
2: Yeah, definitely. So as I say, make sure you've got all the basics right, you know, even pH, things like that, that's going to ensure that your soils working for you Um, is going to increase that nitrogen and all nutrient use efficiency.
1: I'm going to cover grassland in a separate podcast, but it's true to say that some farmers are already considering changing their crop mix for next season. I'm wondering if this late in the season, sowing legumes to be under sown for spring cereals is the kind of thing for some to consider.
2: Yeah, well, up until now, well, whilst we're speaking, the weather's been very good for establishment, which would be my famous last words. But so, you know, there's still scope for growing some cover crops before spring crops. Um, but obviously it's going to depend on the weather going forwards. So it, it might start to turn colder, for example. Um, you know, if, if the establishment conditions stay as conduces, conducive as they have been, then growers are more likely to probably want to grow crops rather than cover crops. But if they are growing cover crops, then as you mentioned, legumes are a good idea to have in the mixture because obviously they're able to produce their own nitrogen, which is going to benefit the the next crop in the spring. Um, Growers are also looking, obviously, at changing their rotations based on their amount of nitrogen. So, looking for less nitrogen hungry crops. So, of course, we're going to see more peas, beans, uh, linseed, things like that, as well as spring cereals. So, yeah, people are certainly having to, to think differently this year.
1: I'm thinking about dung and slurry, I suppose, in some areas, not the big arable areas, I suppose, but elsewhere, livestock farms, pigs, poultry may have some, some extra stuff to sell or move on or make, make use for a neighbor. What do you think? Practical mm. or not?
2: Uh, Well, I'm guessing anyone with access to these manures is going to be holding on to them, really. Um, Unless, like you say, unless it's viable and the the farm wants to sell someone that's close by, that could be an option. Um, But yeah, the best advice really would be for those lucky enough to have some um, source of nitrogen is to make sure that they're maximizing its use. You know, the same applies as it would for for mineral fertiliser. You need to be applying it to the right crops at the right time to utilise that nitrogen, you know, so you're getting the best out of it.
1: Well, that's your key message. Any more bullet points for farmers to remember?
2: Uh, yeah, so I guess key points are, you know, if you bought early, then carry on as normal because we want to aim towards those higher yields and get uh, give the crop the best chance of reaching them with the biological optimum. Um, if you bought at the higher prices, Then that first 160 kilograms, you know, that's the absolute minimum you want to go with where you'll still see a return on investment. And then come spring, we do a bit of a reassessment to see whether it's economically viable to apply some more nitrogen. Um, And yeah, as I mentioned, making sure you're getting those fundamentals right. So because of the reduced rate, there's a lot less room for error this year. Um, So making sure you've got the timing, the quality of the product, using the right tools and services, you know, that all that kind of thing becomes an even more important issue.
1: Well, Mark Tucker, if I can come back to you, the kind of market and supply chain disruption or price volatility we're talking about isn't likely to disappear as quickly as it arose. So what challenges or opportunities does this pose for farmers, agronomists and all the others in the sector, do you think?
0: Um, Yeah, you're right. It's something that you can't see an immediate end to it. So it's something that we've just got to constantly um, be thinking about. But I think and it's it's cropped up in conversation with farmers that actually um, this represents a time of opportunity as well. Very often in sort of adverse um, environments and conditions, then you really does give you that nudge or that to think, Differently, or to look at what other options there are out there. So, really do um, sit back and I think take a very, um, yeah, if I can say rational and Get the calculator out and start doing some rational decisions because it's all too easy to get tied up in in very emotional side of things when we get to these sorts of levels. So yes, of course it's an emotive subject, but try and think about it um, from an economics point of view, return on investment, do the maths and the calculations to get to those sort of application rates that are appropriate. But then absolutely look at what alternatives there are, and we're seeing in trials that the use of foliar products. When you're just looking to extend the green life of the canopy, can work well. So, rather than um, relying on just soil nutrition, then do look and explore what some of the foliar products that are out there now can help um, deliver in terms of that final push um, as you get towards next May. Um, So, you've built the canopy with the main sort of applications of fertilizer, but then you can manage that canopy towards harvest through perhaps some new and novel approaches that are out there.
1: And I suppose the point is, given the, the low carbon targets we're, we're moving towards, this is all part of that strategy. You're building partnerships, rethinking, having discussion with, with your suppliers and, and, and experts and, and trying to result come out with a new strategy which is appropriate. And this is just enough to nudge it that way.
0: Yes, and it it certainly is something that's going to be with us in the future and in the fact that we do have to really analyze and rationalize what the sustainable nitrogen application is. So, yeah, getting close or working at these very sort of optimal applications where we don't have the luxury of, you know, applying just a little bit of insurance nitrogen, which has happened over the years, then really moving to that very very sort of fine-tuned nitrogen management is something that you know will be useful and certainly as we then start to measure carbon footprints and the application rate being dictated by some of those factors as well then being at this sort of very close fine-tuning to the optimum stage is something that um, we can get used to and will benefit by way of some of the sustainability and environmental goals that are being set for us.
1: And with new tillage techniques, we're building humus back in the soil as well. And all of that's going to have a, a beneficial effect.
0: Yeah. And all of that bit of the sort of jigsaw puzzle means that we have supply from the soil coming through, measuring and monitoring the crop as to how that's coming through is then the real sort of critical bit. So using all those tools and services that Natalie mentioned um, at farm N tester, all there to be able to help sort of monitor and measure that nitrogen as it comes into the crop and then fine tune any sort of final applications.
1: Natalie gave us some bullet points. Have you any final points to make?
0: I, I think the most important thing is, is to sort of remove some of that emotion and be very sort of uh, pragmatic, but calculated about what um, applications you're going to be doing faced with how you've bought your fertilizer to date, So therefore, what is your economic position in terms of the buying price and your selling price of wheat? So be really calculated around that. But then I think most importantly, keep some flexibility as to getting into the spring, into that seasonal management so that you, again, reassess, do the calculations, get the calculator out, look at the wheat price, look at the prevailing nitrogen price and see what the appropriate decision then is. So be flexible and make it very appropriate to the field and to the sort of economic background.
1: Fine, thank you very much. Mark Tucker, Natalie Wood, thanks a lot. And hopefully you've shed a bit more light on a pretty dark topic just now and offered at least some food for thought amongst a group of very concerned farmers and producers. It's a topic we'll no doubt return to, including our next podcast, when, as promised, I'll consider the options for the grazing sector. Meanwhile, from me, Ken Rundle, Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Yara's Grow the Future podcast. For more information, visit
0: yara.co.uk or yara.ie.